on today's episode, answering all of your Q&A questions. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. very much for everyone who have submitted their questions. Um, tons have come in and uh, I think the usual process that I'm going to go with at the moment is uh, putting it on to Facebook, putting it onto Instagram, putting it into the patron group and just seeing all the questions that come flooding in Then um, trying to sift through all those questions. Uh, my process. Okay. So patrons do get priority. Um, they're the ones contributing $5, five Australian dollars, which I think is like two, two or three US dollars or two, two or three pounds per month. Um, depending where you are in the world, uh, when they submit questions, it gets prioritized to the front of the list and the others, if there's a question that comes in that, um, doesn't really suit the, or if something's already been answered or if there's an, a podcast episode already on that, I'll try and redirect people to that episode. Um, we'll try to answer it. I'll try to reply to their comment on social media to try and answer it if I'm not going to do it on the podcast. Um, but also I've actually been getting a, a few questions. I'm like, oh, that actually be a really good entire episode, maybe a solo episode that I just discuss this entire topic. So that get gets, I guess, escalated to a solo episode. <laughs> um, and then the, uh, I think with this particular um, process, there's been a ton of questions come in. So I think today what I might do is just answer the patron questions. Um, and then part two, I'll do my best next episode on the Q&A to hopefully answer your question. Um, and yeah, I, I, I usually, if there's a lot flooding in, I'll just prioritize either the most relevant or the most interesting and yeah if you um if you do want to have your question i guess escalated i guess that's where the the patron option does come in so um thanks to everyone i i wanted to start with the patron questions so reese wenzel uh asks so reese asks is there a specific or a perceived difficulty between treadmill and outdoor running? So is there a difference in the, the perceived effort? It always seems that treadmill running is harder, but is that just because there's no breeze if you're inside? So good question. Um, I'm not sure if you're the type of runner that does treadmill and outdoor running. Me specifically, I have done very, very little treadmill running. Um, I have done some indoor cycling though. And notice the, uh, I can appreciate the 
the difference without any wind or without any air or breeze when it comes to exercising indoors. Um, but I can fall back on some evidence here. Um, I can talk about this topic a little bit. So first of all, treadmill differences. There are differences in the way you heat up, but there are differences in the way mechanically, biomechanically, how the demands on the muscles can be extremely different. So particularly when it comes to the calf complex and your propulsion for when you are exercising. So um, essentially what it is when you are running on a treadmill, the belt underneath you is moving. And so you essentially don't need to push off the ground to move forward. You just need to pick up your foot and place it down again in front of you. And so you're not dedicating a lot of propulsion, your calf muscles and your glutes aren't contributing to that push off unless you change the incline, which we'll talk about in a second. So that's the change on the muscle requirements. But like we kind of alluded to, there's also the second difference, which is being indoors and not moving through air and not evaporating sweat the same way, which contributes greatly to cooling you down, which um, when it comes to effort levels, if your temperature, your body temperature starts to elevate, you're going to feel extremely tired, extremely fatigued very quickly. Um, it, thinks, it brought me back to an episode, um, I had to look it up, 109, and it was about sweat loss, heat, dealing in all weather conditions. Um, Michael and Andrew were, were other hosts of the Endurance Innovation podcast, and they came onto the podcast to chat about um, the title was How to Survive and Thrive in All Weather Conditions. And surprisingly, like the importance of evaporating sweat to cool you down as an effective like tool was immense. It was like the greatest thing you could do. And that's what they talked about in the podcast, like strategies that you could help, like putting a bag of ice on the back of your neck if it's a hot day when you're running on a marathon, those sort of things. And just having a cold drink just to um, cool you down that way. And yeah, so when you do sweat, um, the sweat itself doesn't actually really cool you down. What happens is when air kind of brushes over that sweat and then the sweat evaporates, that's what generates that cooling effect. And that's what actually cools you down. And I guess that's the difference between when something's really humid, like a very humid um, condition you just sweat a lot and it doesn't, it, it really struggles to evaporate. And so you just lose a lot of sweat, just constantly sweating without that evaporation. So it doesn't really cool you down as effectively as a non-humid condition. And so, um, yeah, the, when it comes back to your question race, like why I think people get tired, people get fatigued and people have a perceived effort for different reasons. And when I talk with runners and say, if they say, oh, today was a struggle, I always ask, like, was it a struggle with your breath? Was it a struggle to, to maintain your breath or was it just more of a struggle? Did your legs feel heavy? Was it really hard to get going? Um, did they feel like they were getting heavy or getting tired? Because they're two different things. And it kind of means, okay, is it a endurance issue with the muscles of the legs? Is it a, a strength issue with the muscles of the legs? Or is it a cardiovascular issue? And I can kind of see this scenario if someone's on a treadmill and they think it's harder, then maybe it's more of the cardiovascular heat, body temperature sort of awareness. But a lot of times when someone's on a treadmill, sometimes it can feel easier. And I think that's more of the 
muscle strength, endurance side of things because like I said, your calf muscles aren't working as hard. And so um, it would depend. Um, definitely if you're one of the two, if treadmill's harder, if it's easier, maybe it's one of those components um, because we do know overheating, being dehydrated just contributes to fatigue levels. So um, it depends on the runner, depend on where your limitations are, depending where your fitness levels are. And um, some things to counter counter that, I guess, if you feel like it's a lot easier on a treadmill because you're not pushing off, um, you can mimic outdoor running as much as you can by increasing the incline. They do suggest increasing the incline by about 1% and you now have to push up rather than the belt just moving underneath you. Yes, it does move underneath you, but you need to push yourself up a little bit in that 1% gradient. And so that can kind of mimic outdoor running as best as it can. And then um, if it is the more of the sweat, lack of evaporation, overheating scenario, similar to what I do when I'm doing my indoor bike sessions, just get a fan, get a couple of fans, get like a, a big industry fan if you want, put it in front of you and then there comes your your breeze and the ability to evaporate that sweat more effectively. So a few things that you could do there or you could just put on like an air conditioning in your room or like make sure you go to a gym that's quite cool or any of those scenarios that there's a few things to play around with. Okay, thanks for that, Reese. Next, we have a question from Paul Turner. And Paul says that he is a low mileage runner, approximately two rounds of 5Ks per week um, or two runs of 5Ks per week. And I want to add a third day. If it's an, a 33% increase because you're doing, adding a, a third run, um, how could I go about a large increase like that safely? Great question. I think there's a few things to play around with here. Um, we do know that when it comes to running, building up your running mileage, building up your running speed, we do need to do so gradually and allow the body to adapt. That's the universal principles of this podcast. If you haven't listened to the universal principles, those first 10 episodes, please do so because you're doing yourself a disservice. You're not taking the full advantage of the Run Smarter podcast. And so have a go at those. And then if you're, you haven't remembered, sometimes like once every six or 12 months, it's good to refresh yourself and go back because um, you can pick things up and um, these concepts start to become a little bit more interwoven. It's easier to remember if you, you get pieces of information that'll fit into a puzzle. So, um, yep, if you haven't, do that. Uh, so if you're running 5Ks, just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Twice a week and you want to add a third day, how can we add that mileage safely? So currently, Paul, your weekly mileage is 10Ks per week. The safe option, I would say, is when you split it into three days, don't do the 5Ks, do maybe 4Ks. Um, so each day run 4Ks and that brings your total running mileage to 12. So you've gone from 10 to 12, not a not a huge jump, but um, at least something. Um, and then you can start building yourself up from there. So a few weeks after that, 
you can add one of those weeks back up to 5Ks. And then if that's okay, then add a second one back up to those 5Ks. So you're just distributing the mileage across more days and then slowly building up from there. That can be a really simple way and can apply to say any runner who's say doing higher mileage and wants to add an additional day same principles can apply. So if you, let's just say you run four days a week and you do uh, 25Ks, so you run during like three um, weekdays, you do 5Ks and then a 10K on the weekend. So all in all, you're running 25Ks, but then you want to add a fifth day. I would say spread it all out. So do like 4Ks. So you do weekdays, four times 4Ks, and then your long run can be say nine Ks. Um, and that's still 25 Ks all up. So you've dropped, um, those five K runs three times a week to four days a week, four Ks. And then that long run has gone from a 10 K to a nine K and your mileage is exactly the same. And then once you've adapted to that, you can just slowly start adding mileage, um, into those days. That's a really nice option. Another option that you can do is um, just on your third day, just do a lot of short um, short running and a lot of walking. Just mix in this walk-run combination. So if you are a low mileage runner, um, perhaps like the, a catch to 5K approach can be appropriate if you've done the catch to 5K app before and it's really worked for you. How about you just do your two Ks, uh, your, your two days of 5Ks and then for your third day, just do the couch to 5K. Just do a lot of walking with a little bit of running. And then as you adapt, as you get stronger, just do a little bit more running and a lot less walking. And then just slowly build up until you get to more continuous stuff and um, build it up from there until you're up to 10, uh, until you're up to running 5Ks and see if you're happy with that amount. Also keep in mind that there's no shame in doing like a 1K run or a 2K run either. I know like with my injuries in the past, I've talked about my midfoot pain. I've talked about my Pezan Serene, like back of my knee pain that I've overcome. And for those particular ones, when they were really irritated, I had to run for a couple of minutes. I had to run, I had to go out and say, okay, today's my run. I would walk for, you know, a minute and then I'd jog for 30 seconds and I'd repeat that five times. Then I'd go back in, into the house. I'd do some cross training. I'd do some strength training. And then that would be it. And that was just a part of the process. And so there's no, there's no shame going out for a 1K run, going out for a, a 2K run, and then just um, building upon that. Just That's just your foundation and away you go. So um, coming back to your Paul, uh, your question, Paul, Adding in a third day doesn't have to be 5Ks. It can be 1K. And then next week, do 2Ks. Um, just take it from there and you can slowly build up. It's the safest way to do so. Well, all these options that I suggest are really safe. And um, I hope that helps. Let me know how you go. The next question we have comes in from Alan Storm, who is a brand new patron. So welcome to the patron family, Alan. Uh, she asks, I'm trying to balance the 80-20 rule of running. Can I include walking the dog and hiking in the 80% part, the 80% portion, if it's low heart rate training? How does cross training on a bike or strength training work into it? 
or is the 80-20 rule ratio strictly just for running? This is a really good question. I, I love this one. If people aren't familiar of this 80-20 principle, so this is an intensity distribution rule that people follow where 80% of your entire weekly mileage is dedicated to low intensity running, whereas 20% is allowing enough percentage to um, work into higher efforts, work into more intense efforts. So interval training, strides, just um, tempo runs, all those sort of high upper intensities. And that just creates a really nice balance for you to accumulate high mileage without the body breaking down and getting too sore. It's a really nice balance. So if you're walking the dog, if you're going for a hike, um, if you're keeping to this low heart rate training, um, cross training, bike, does this, should this be factored into the 80% rule? Um, or is it just, should we just focus on just the running um, with this balance? So I have a feeling that if you ask 10 different running coaches this question, you'd get 10 different answers because I haven't come across an answer, um, but there'd probably be a lot of opinions. And so I'm just going to say my opinion um, and just sort of my gut kind of feeling. So I think running loads are completely different to say cycling or walking because when we talk about intensity distribution, we want to talk about that distribution, the load on the body. So if you're walking, we want to say um, if you the the load that it gets accumulated to say your right leg when you step when you're walking is probably about one times your body weight. When you are cycling, you're probably getting when you push that pedal stroke, the the load the the reaction force the the general force that goes through your body. I don't know. It's probably one. You probably wouldn't get more than one and a half times your body. When you're running and you contact the ground, when we're talking about, say, loads through the knee and through the hip, we're talking two to three times your body weight every single step. When we're talking about loads going through specific tendons or bones of the foot or your Achilles, we're talking five, six, sometimes seven times your body weight, depending how fast you're running. That accumulates an enormous load. So walking, cycling, just don't have the same loads that the body does when you're running, which is why when you walk and when you cycle, you hardly get the same amount of injuries as runners do because of just that accumulation. So it's in my opinion that running loads should be considered completely differently. Um, And if we're talking about for this particular reason, um, the, the calculations, calculating that intensity distribution should just be factored in purely just for running. Because hypothetically, um, if you included walking, you, you're doing a lot of walking throughout the week. Maybe you're walking the dog once or twice a day. Um, the more, I guess, in this equation, the more walking that you do kind of just frees you up and gives you more available time to do more intense running. And in my eyes, if someone's doing that and um, allowing themselves, oh, let me just go for a two or three hour walk and then I can do, you know, another half hour sprint session today that just won't calculate. It just like won't compute 
in what my understanding is around the body and what it can take. And it seems like you just put yourself through way too much. And so I think it's also simpler to separate it because sometimes you're like, well, I went for a 30, 40 minute walk, but I also walked 10 minutes to, um, to work. I also did a, a hike with some friends on the weekend. I also did a bike ride. So does it matter in terms of minutes? Does it matter in terms of distance? Does it, it just like really complicates things quite a lot because we do know that if we do include walking, there's a lot of incidental exercise that goes on day by day. And so do we include that as well? I think um, based on the demands of the body and also simplistically when you're calculating this sort of stuff, it'd be easier and nicer just to completely consider that 80-20 rule just purely for running and see how that goes. I think for injuries, if you're returning from an injury, um, we can play into some cross-training and kind of mimic some exercise units um, and try and make it a bit more 80-20 focused. I am um, in the process uh, in the next couple of days, like as we're recording this um, tomorrow, actually, I'll be interviewing... um, Uh, Eric Hegedus, who was, um, we're going to talk about return to running. He's published a paper on it and he has this, this concept as well of like, if someone is injured and they, they're doing cross training, um, how we can calculate, say being on a rower or cycling, doing an indoor bike session and calculating those exercise units, um, compared to running exercise units. And so when you, return to run, you're doing a, a lot more cross training, um, and less running, but as you start to recover, it's a little bit more running, less cross training and trying to combine those together. When I was injured, um, I think there was one day my, hmm, what was sore, my knee, I think it was, and I didn't want to go for a run. No, it wouldn't have been my knee because I wouldn't have cycled. It was maybe my foot or my calf. Ah, it was my calf. Um, one day my calf was really sore and I had scheduled a, um, uh, intensity session, like a sprint session on my calendar. And so I didn't want to do a sprint session and I didn't want to move the days around. So what I did was a really intense session on the bike and tried to mimic the exercise units as best as I could. And I said, all right, I give myself like 190 exercise units for today that I was meant to do for my run let me try and mimic that on the bike because it's less demand on the calf, but cardiovascular, you can still work yourself really hard on the bike. And so just for that specific moment, I tried to mimic that intensity and say like a a 25, 30 minute, really intense running session probably equates to about a 45 minute um, intense session on the bike in my eyes. So I tried to mimic that as best as I could. Um, So for injuries, it can be slightly different, but if you're not injured and you're calculating this 80 20 rule maybe just keep it to um keep it to just running focused but that's just my opinion moving on to rachel zen uh who is a very well valued patron in my eyes she's done everything um in the run smarter series reading all the blogs and doing all the the five-day challenges so well done rachel for all of your input and valuing your uh running iq Rachel asks, I always think I need to follow a run training plan, no matter what distance for what, for the variety. So sprints, hill repeats, otherwise I get bored. Is this wise? Is this normal or otherwise? 
well done for following a, a training plan. <laughs> I think this um, fits well with my description of you trying, just trying everything um, when it comes to the Run Smarter series, um, trying the, the training plans as well. My, the reason for most injuries, from what we know based on the research and from what I've said countless times on this podcast, the reason for most recreational running, endurance running injuries is training errors. So doing too much too soon, doing something that's too abrupt, changing your terrain too soon, changing like the quality of your shoes. Um, these training errors are most commonly due to a lack, a lack in structure and not really calculating, accumulating weekly mileage, weekly intensity, um, hills, the, the characteristics of the hills. It's just lack of understanding, lack of structure, lack of writing things down. And so if you document, if you document things carefully, um, you can help your recollection. You can help, like, if I was not to document things, I'd have no idea what my mileage was last week. I'd have a guess, but I wouldn't know. And I think even just me, because I'm now calculating and writing down week by week by week. If I get to a Friday and I try and remember what happened on the Monday, thank God for Strava or something else where I can look it up because I'd have no idea. I'd be like, was it 5Ks? Was it 7Ks? How intense was it? I really can't remember. And so documenting, it's good for recollection. It's good for adding in not only remembering your mileage, but also then working out how you can add things into progress, how you can identify faults if something has happened. If you have developed shin splints or an injury or calf strains, you can then go back through your documentation, see if there were any faults there. Maybe it was a change of terrain or intensity. Um, and then we can be productive and sort of focus on progress. So here's my weekly mileage. Where can I add more mileage in? Um, but if you are following a training plan like Rachel, this is all done for you if it's a good one. Um, so training plans, yes, do offer that variety as well. The The variety just accounts for just becoming a well-balanced runner, um, making sure you're doing your long runs, but also making sure there's intervals in there, there's recovery runs, that intensity distribution, that 80-20 is just really well-balanced, um, including strides as well could be in a training plan these sort of things can be really, really nice. So um, I've worked with, when I work with clients, a lot of their responses when we build a program, like a running program or they're injured and we put together like a management plan, a rehab schedule, a lot of times it just takes out a lot of the guesswork and the feedback that I've been getting is that is just a huge relief just to have this plan, have it down on paper, scheduled what, run or what exercises I need to do tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day reduces a lot of that cognitive load and is just nice. Um, and if unexpected symptoms arise, we are responsible for changing that management plan because we do know that unexpected things happen. So the plan itself can modify and can change, but it's still there. And that was one thing, uh, one feedback that I was a bit surprised about how common that this feedback is and how big of an impact it can be, but just writing things down or just having a plan can be really, really beneficial. So thanks for that, Rachel. Okay. Let's continue to our last question here. Um, I've lost my space <laughs> with my uh, word document. Okay. Sam Todd, 
one of the early podcast adopters, uh, one of the early um, adopters of the patron, longtime patron family member. So thanks for your question, Sam. I think like the last, this month, we've had a big influx of new patrons. We've had, I, I usually get about four, four or five new patrons per month and we're up to about 12 in October. So thanks to everyone. Um, okay, Sam, if you have back spasms just in everyday life, the ones that are the type that floor you for one to two days, uh, should you return to run, should your running follow a return just like from an injury or should you just be able to get back to normal running patterns once pain subsides and mobility returns? I haven't really done a lot on low backs. Um, I know I had that one episode with, um, was it Kieran O'Sullivan? And we talked about the myths of low back pain. Um, anyway, uh, when it comes to low back spasms, like if we're just purely speaking about muscle spasms, this is, this is where it gets quite tricky. And this is why like low back pain is a tricky one because there's so many different causes, so many different, different diagnoses. And in fact, when we're working in clinics um, and people present with low back pain, the research will show that almost 80% of people suffering from low back pain have this condition that is called non-specific low back pain, which means it's not specific to any particular diagnosis, it's not specific to any particular um, condition or uh, pathology. It's just something muscular, something joint-related, something neuro-related that we can't really pinpoint. And the the presentations vary wildly in a lot of um, different lower back pain sufferers. I've had low back pain in the past, um, playing basketball. Um, looking back on it now, my lower back was constantly stiff. But nonetheless, so when it comes to lower back muscle spasms, um, mobility, just maintaining mobility and light exercise is really important. We want to make sure that if you can walk and you can move around, you can do stretches that that is maintained and is highly encouraged, even if there is a little bit of pain, um, without overload. Like we suggest walking, um, walking is quite nice, but if you go for a two hour walk and your back is just wrecked afterwards, not a good thing. So find the balance. Um, so in the meantime, while you're recovering light stretches, mobility work, my favorites are say like a four point kneeling cat camel where you're sort of rounding out your back and then arching your back and sort of repeating those two movements. I do have a very common one, um, lumbar rotations, I call it, but when you lie on your back, you're bending your knees and you just rock your knees side to side and get your lower back into, uh, some rotation, some rotation movements. So the combination of those two, uh, stretches can be quite nice pretty much because if it is a muscle spasm, we want to encourage movement, but we don't want to create too much strain on the muscles. And so when you're in four point kneeling, or if you're lying on your back, the muscles are relatively switched off. They don't need to, um, they're not required to say move the entire body. They don't have to switch on to move the entire body. And so you can still mobilize the spine while the muscles are relatively switched off. And that can be quite nice and good for restoring movement. So once you have recovered enough, um, and you think you're ready to start trying to try some running. Um, I guess the same principles do apply for most running related injuries. Um, you just want to ensure that the muscle activation doesn't trigger pain. So 
before you actually start low levels of running, you might want to try hopping. You might want to try hopping on the right side 20 times, hop on the left side 20 times, just to see if the muscle recruitment patterns are adequate enough and it's not causing any spasm or it's not causing any increase in symptoms. And once you can do that, maybe jog on the spot for a minute or two. If that's fine, then you can just go back into whatever sensible levels of running you think you're able to tolerate. So um, that might be walk running, that might be just continuous slow running and just pay attention to symptoms. Um, So after that, just um, ensure that you don't continue running that produce like high fatigue levels, especially when it comes to muscle spasms, low back spasms. If they've been switched on um, quite a lot throughout the the days or throughout the last week, they can get quite fatigued. They can be susceptible to fatigue quite quickly. So it's a bit of trial and error. You want to run and just pay attention to symptoms, but don't run beyond the point where they get fatigued and you're just trying to see out the, the remainder of your run because that will exacerbate symptoms and requires like just sensible training. Like if you, even if you do a walk run schedule, say if you walk, if you run for a K and then walk for a minute, that gives you a minute just to reassess, just to see how the body's feeling, to see what fatigue levels are like and gives the body a bit of time to restore. And then you do your next K and just pay attention to symptoms along the way. Um, Don't get to the point where you start feeling a muscle spasm or a cramp or like tightening up or fatigue. And then you decide to continue just to push on because that's going to set you up for failure and it's probably going to exacerbate symptoms after the run once you cool down and it can be easily avoided if you yeah, pay attention to the right symptoms. And so thank you patrons for all of those questions. Um, just a bit of a recap. So we had the treadmill stuff, uh, changing mechanics. So changing your calf work, change in um, the sweat rate and the evaporation. So there's strategies we can do to compensate for that. So we can increase the treadmill incline, uh, the gradient by 1%. We can use fans and stuff to help with that evaporation heat loss, the low mileage, um, increasing running days, spread it out over multiple days. If you want to add one or two running days, keep the mileage the same throughout the entire week to spread it over more days. And then you can add additional kilometers here and there to spread it out um, as you adapt. When it comes to the 80-20 rule, I think in my opinion, just keep it strictly just to the running itself. Um, The run walks like a session of a run walk. It will be included in that 80-20 running, but just all the other incidental stuff and all the other cross training and hiking, that sort of stuff can be disregarded unless you're injured. And then when it comes to the, um, Rachel's question around the training plans. Yes, I love training plans for a whole bunch of reasons it's listed. Nice to have things written down, easy to identify errors in the past and easy to find um, how to progress and how to move forward. But also training plans offer some really nice variety, which if we've talked about motivation levels in the past, having some variety is really good for boosting motivation levels low back spasms, do some mobility work, um, stuff that doesn't require a lot of muscle activation to restore your movement. Then try some hopping, try some jogging on the spot, and then just pay attention to sensible dosages, pay attention to symptoms along the way until you're back to pre-injury, pre-back spasm mileage. 
And so I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, I'll do my best next episode to get through all the non-patron questions and uh, we'll see where it takes us. So as we sign off, remember, every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.